0: Hello my friends, it is April 7th, 2020, how are you? Are you all good? I am in the studio tonight with my 5 month old puppy, she's kind of driving me nuts, but you know, we're we're keeping each other safe through all this. Uh, have you guys ever had a puppy? I forgot how tough the puppy years really are, it's, it's been a while for me. We're in the midst of this pandemic known as the coronavirus. I hope you're all strong, safe, and healthy, practicing that social distancing. Today, I have the opportunity of sitting down and speaking with the man himself. He is affectionately known in the ultra running community as Sherpa John. Uh, This guy has gone out of his way to, to help me on my path with starting a business a couple different times and he'll always have a special place in my heart because of it he is the founder of the largest series of ultra marathons in colorado and the fourth biggest series in the nation that is nothing to sneeze at the name of his race series is human potential running and he has built it all himself from the ground up he's a self-made man and i hope you guys enjoy our conversation Life is short. Do big things. Hello. Sherpa John.
1: What's going on, my man?
0: How are you, my friend?
1: We're alive, we're well.
0: Good. That's good to hear. Surviving pandemic. (laughs) Trying my best. Good. Had a boy. How uh, how has this affected uh, human potential running as of right now? It looks like you've got a virtual race up coming uh, later this month, April, what was it, 18th and 19th?
1: Yeah, it's kind of like a month-long virtual challenge that every week there's a new theme and items for people to find while they're out running, like scavenger hunt items. And there's a Facebook group and... Just you know trying to give everybody that community that we all crave while we're mm-hmm. in the middle of this, and then yeah, it culminates on the eighteenth with a six twelve or twenty four hour uh, run that folks could sign up for, so
0: okay, cool man, pretty stoked that, and does that cost money, or how does that work?
1: Yeah, it's only twenty five dollars um, okay gotcha. and you get an award and a bib, okay. Uh, once my suppliers are back up and running, we'll get those out to everybody. Awesome. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's an exciting thing. Just something to keep us moving forward and, you know, doing the things that we love to do.
0: Hey man, we're doing what we can in these crazy times. Yeah. Is uh Tommy knocker still on so far?
1: Yeah, so far it's still on. Um, okay. I do have, um, I've worked really hard over the last month to kind of get our backup plan into focus. What are we mm-hmm. going to do if we end up having to postpone it? And, or what are we going to do if we end up holding it? And so, you know, there's, there's all kinds of plans in place that, okay. you know, I'm just kind of waiting for D-Day to, to make a decision. For sure. Yeah. And is that all uh, hanging on permits at this point? No, we, we have our permits. Um Okay. I get my Tommyknocker permit in December. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, So, yeah, that application process happens in October. I get my permits for the next year in December. And then it's really, it's just been communicating with the land manager to see what what they want to do, what are the county guidelines, and kind of what our plan is. So just trying to be proactive. And they haven't canceled us, and, you know, we haven't. You know, we we've just had the conversations of what are we going to do if this is the scenario on race day? Sure.
0: So, so far, not too much has really been affected then, huh? Uh,
1: I had to postpone the niwats challenge. So oh, that's, okay. that's our Barkley event it's Like That's the Barkley of the West that was supposed to happen on the 18th of April. Mm. um so i i pushed that out to may 30th and there's only 30 35 runners in that event so it's it's not a big deal and most of them will be there so yeah. um that's the only thing that's been affected so far at, at hbrs
0: okay cool man well very cool well good talking to you it's been a while since i've, I've caught up with you so yeah i just wanted to catch up and i'm kind of new to this whole podcast world and um so yeah man just wanted to just wanted to hash it out with you and yeah just kind of top it up and, and see what's cooking with you and kind of go back and hear your story and everything so
1: whatever you um, want to talk
0: about man it's it's all fair game oh i appreciate it man so yes um so i'm talking with uh sherpa john he is the uh biggest race director in uh in colorado
1: and the fourth biggest in the nation is that is that right yeah, that's true. Yeah. In terms of ultras. Yeah, we are the mm-hmm. lar- human potential running series is the largest ultra marathon series in Colorado and the fourth largest in the country. And and we're really proud of those facts. It's been a lot of work, but uh, that's oh, where man. we find ourselves. And, you know, it's, it's an exciting, exciting place to be.
0: So how did it all start for, for Sherpa John? I know you started as a runner first and uh, I think you're from the East Coast originally, aren't you?
1: yeah i'm originally from new hampshire born and raised spent the first 31 years of my life there i was a hiker actually i'm a peak bagger at heart which is just somebody that likes to go knock the list of you know peaks off a list that they may have
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, and one day i wondered if anybody had hiked new hampshire's white mountains the fastest and i figured that that had to be like two months uh, and after a little research, I found out it was actually three and a half days. <laughs> and, but I I was making a documentary film about peak bagging in New Hampshire. This is back in two thousand four, and I did a little research and found out that there were a couple guys that held the a record at one point in time or are presently at the time. And I I interviewed them for my film and. They started talking about this thing called ultra marathon running. And I asked the question, what do you, what do you have to do to be an ultra runner? And they said, oh, you just need to be stubborn and able to put up with discomfort. (laughs) And so being a great runner wasn't in their definition. And this is two different guys. One of them who's a Barkley finisher, Um, you know, they, neither one of them mentioned running. You just needed to be stubborn and able to put up with discomfort and I and I had that so I decided (laughs) that I was going to become an ultra marathon runner and I ran my first ultra in 2005 and I I've lost count of how many ultra distance runs I've completed you know over the last 15 years I, I I know I've done over 60 official races and I've probably done another hundred fat asses, you know, of ultra distance. Wow. Um, yeah. And you know, I got into race directing. I was it assistant I think... race? Go ahead, you you had a question.
0: No, I think you've got over twenty races that are over a hundred mile distance, right?
1: Yeah, I've run a hundred miles or more twenty three different times. Wow. Um Unreal. and there's not that many people with that high a number and those I've I've met a lot of them and we're all definitely interesting people. <laughs> of course. Yeah. yeah. This attracts kinds uh, of yourself included.
0: So that's why we're here. Yeah. So, yeah. The marathon distance and the half marathon distance and just jumped right in?
1: Yeah, you know, I couldn't run I couldn't run a mile without walking when I started. Okay. And even my my girlfriend at the time, when I told her I was going to be an ultra runner, she's like, "You can't even run a mile." <laughs> I'm like, well, you got to start somewhere. So, yeah, yeah I, I worked on running a mile without walking, and then nice. I made it two miles, and then five k, and then ten k, and a half marathon, and marathon. And you know, it took me six months to work my way up to my first fifty k.
0: Okay. And what was your first 50K?
1: It was called the Dam Wakely Dam Ultra Marathon in upstate New York. It's a 32.6 mile ultra that never crosses a the road. There are no aid stations, so you got to carry all your shit with you. Oh, excellent. And it's point to point through the pretty wild area of the Adirondacks. Um, and I learned a lot. <laughs> For sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what did you learn on that first 50K?
1: That I had no idea what the fuck I was doing.
0: (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) You know,
1: back then, you know, this 2005, I know people listening, you, you feel like that's not a long time ago, but it's 15 years ago. There was, there was really only Accelerade was the only Accelerade, Gatorade and Powerade. Those were the three electrolyte drinks on the market
0: mm-hmm
1: okay Acc- accelerate had this horrible metallic aftertaste oh i remember that stuff yeah it was bad and i think that succeed was just coming on the market with their blend of maltodextrin and most of the ultra runners i knew they bought bulk quantities of maltodextrin and whatever other chemicals they could find on you know online cooking supply <laughs> or just some random you know, people making gum at home or whatever, you know, um, but they, they bought the, the chemicals they needed. And as you know, the geeks that we were mixed it together with some, you know, fruit punch Kool-Aid to make their own electrolyte drink. Uh, so at my first ultra, I, I had Gatorade and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and some bananas. And that's <laughs> what was in my pack. And I I don't think to this day I've crashed and burned, harder than I did on that first off. I mean, I <laughs> I was laid out at mile 28. Um just laying on the trail looking up at the sky. just had no clue, you know,
0: wondering why you signed up for this.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah, and it was a totally different sport back then too. There was no Facebook. Nope. There were there were no I belong to one online messaging forum called kick runners that had an extreme runner section.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there was only a hundred of us in there. Like, so, so finding, sharing and, you know, disseminating information from each other was that hadn't even come to fruition yet. Like it really was, you got to meet people and, and learn as much as you can from them along the way. There was no, there were no books there you know mm-hmm. ultra running magazine was in black and white <laughs> <laughs> you know it it was the 1950s yeah <laughs> as, as far well. as technology goes and mm-hmm. it was very different yeah
0: so yeah man so I, like yeah i remember back in those days there was just nothing so i mean did you just jump into your first ultra blind and and not not knowing much of anything or were you able to find some sort of
1: research somewhere along the way or through talking to people or, or how this, did it go? This is a big question. I could open a can of worms with, <laughs> um, at the time I, I knew of one active ultra runner and it was a woman named Sue Johnston. Okay. And Sue used to hold the female course record for hard rock. And she's a native Vermonter, and she was a person in my hiking circles in the Northeast. And I went on a hike with her one day and started asking her questions about, you know, the typical newbie questions. What kind of shoes do you wear? What kind of pack? What do you eat? What do you drink? Uh And every question I asked her, she didn't give me an answer. She didn't give you an answer? No, she stayed silent. (laughs) <laughs> that's prob-
0: yeah that's smart of her okay
1: she, she didn't answer me at all and yeah. and then we got to the top of this mountain and she was like well our hike's going a little slower than i thought today so i'm going to take off and so she took <laughs> off but this left a huge bad taste in my mouth and i think even to this day i could give a shit for the elite because i didn't understand what the problem was until i found out through somebody else who knew her that The problem was that I never interviewed her for my film on peak bagging, because if I had, I would have discovered that Sue held the female record for hiking New Hampshire's mountains the fastest. And so because I never researched her and I never interviewed her for my film, when I had questions for her about ultramarathon running, she chose not to answer. Oh, okay. And she went around and, you know, she told people in the community in the Northeast that I'm just a flash in the pan. Don't pay any attention to him. He's not serious. He'll never, you know, just nothing but doubt. Um, So that was like, that's where it got started for me. And so I was just kind of feeling my way through the sport blindly reading whatever articles I could find mostly out of the Gatorade research lab. (laughs) and You know, like, just, you know, searching the internet, which wasn't the void of information it is now. I mean, it was still um, yeah. just kind of trial and error, figuring it out as I went. Eventually, I met people in the New England running community who were willing to to take me under their wing and, and teach me what they knew and share their knowledge with me and their secrets. And, you know, I, I it took me you know, nowadays you could buy a book and learn how to be an ultra runner in an afternoon. For sure. Uh, you can read any, you can watch any kind of YouTube video or, you know, you, ultra running magazines, pretty informative.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, there, There's just, there's websites, there's on like I run far and blogs. I mean, there's just so much information, but mm-hmm. you know, when I started running ultra, it took me a good two, three years. Yeah. To to gather enough information to figure out how to run fifty miles and longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's funny, like you learn so much
0: usually that first 50k. You know, you find yes. out you know, you usually bonk hard and fall apart and barely make it to the finish line, but you learn so much not only about yourself, but about your fueling and all in strategy. And so there's a big learning curve there. It's like, um, it's like I took Spanish a couple years in, in high school, but when I went to the Dominican Republic for like 10 days, I learned more there than I did <laughs> in two years of high school, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so you, you really just have to get into it to, to figure everything out because, you know, the answers are going to be a little bit different for everybody, obviously.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we've always said, you know, we're all an experiment of one. Yeah. So what works for me may not work for you and and that's why it's important to find, you know, a multitude of tricks and opinions from others around you. But, you know, for some people that's not as easy as not everybody's on Facebook. Not everybody's on Twitter. Not everybody can read. <laughs> so we we forget that everybody has a challenge that we're not always privy to. Yeah. I thought you
0: were going to tell me that she wasn't giving you any answers because um, the answers are just different for everybody, you know, and, and no. so she was just being stubborn in that <laughs> way, but now nope. she was uh, you know, a bit of an elitist.
1: She was just straight up being cold and decided wow. not to answer. And, you know, that was, that was my real first introduction. You know, that was my second introduction, really the first, were the guys I interviewed about ultra running and they told me you need to be stubborn and able to put up with discomfort. Well, You know, my next stab was to gather more information and I met a brick wall and, (laughs) and, you know, all these years later, I'm sure there's people listening to this, the, you know, like, how dare I, how dare I talk that way about a legend in our sport? And, you know, I I understand that you may not like what you're hearing, but how do you think it felt to be the recipient of that true story? (laughs) Yeah, trying to get into this sport and learn as much as I can, and I asked somebody who I looked up to, somebody who could have been a mentor, and I just straight up got ignored. And you know that that I think that situation has really informed a lot of my ultra opinions over the years, Um, and perhaps a lot of my saltiness comes from that. But you know, it is what it is. Yeah.
0: Have you ever had any contact with her since then? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, really? How did that go? (laughs) I mean, you're a huge race director now. Like, how did that
1: conversation play out? Yeah. You know, um, years later, I want to say it was like 2008 or 2010, one of those two years, I ran the Vermont 50 mile endurance run and she was there. Okay. And so she was in the race and, mm-hmm. and let's face it, this woman's way faster than me. Like I'm sure. supreme athlete. Mm-hmm. She's still setting FKTs in the Northeast. Um, wow. You know, really amazing athlete. I mean, uh-huh. no doubt about it. But when I saw her at the Vermont 50 that day, I don't think I've ever eaten mm-hmm. that many gels in a 50 mile <laughs> race. Like I was determined to show uh-huh. her and, I actually ended up beating her by 15 minutes. Wow. And she came across the finish line and, you know, she did her thing. And then she saw me and she comes up to me and she said, I know the only reason you ran that fast is because I'm here. (laughs) And, you know, in one sense, I could have been like, how rude. You don't think I'm fast. But. I looked at her and I said, you're goddamn right. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, we ended up getting our picture taken together there at the finish line. And we had a good conversation about everything I just told you. And she denies ever telling people that I'm a flash in the pan and to pay no attention to me. But it's one of those stories where I heard it from enough people that I trust that I really do think she said it, regardless of what she has to say. But it's water under the bridge. We buried the hatchet. We hugged each other. Good you No, know, it's it's fine. You know, yeah, yeah. there's people that have come to me for advice, and I didn't want to help just because I didn't like their attitude or disposition. Or it's human nature. I mean, it's just people are weird.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, you, you know, like you said, um, sometimes a newbie will come up to you and ask you all the newbie questions that you've heard from a million other newbies that you know that didn't even enter their first race or you know that never finished their first race and they were a flash in the pan so yeah you kind of i don't um,
1: have time to waste on you know people who aren't serious or mm -hmm. you know all those thoughts go through everybody's head I mean, for sure i mean it is what it is i'm not bitter i you know it's but that's the story you know i'm just i'm not bitter but that's the story
0: well, hey man, it lit a fire under your ass, and uh sounds yeah. like you performed well that day, so you know it's a story to tell, so yeah there's there's no shame in that that's that's awesome,
1: yeah, and you know, like I kind of look and it's like fifteen years later i I can look at all the things that I've accomplished as an ultra runner myself, and I you know I'm gonna direct my fiftieth race this year, and I get a good chuckle um when I say to myself. Well so much for being a flash in the pan. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. So um I mean thinking back, what was uh what was like one of the, what was your biggest race where you really learned something about yourself, I guess. I mean I'm guessing it was one of the longer distances, but um you know what was what was uh one of those memories that stands out for you that uh sort of made you sherpa John?
1: oh man you know i'd have to say it was probably the 2008 massanutten mountain trails 100 um massanutten Massonet- you, you still living out east yeah yeah i didn't move to colorado till 2011 okay so, my first six years of ultra running, I was an east coaster Coast. um I traveled to Virginia to run an m m t Massanutten. at the time was labeled the Hard Rock of the east okay and so, is this your first one hundred no no it i think it was my fourth okay fifth it was my fifth hundred um just an awesome event put on by Virginia Happy Trails Running Club in Virginia. Probably, hands down, the best running community in the United States. Really? Um, you'll never be able to argue that with me. I mean, they are, they are the cream of the crop. They're, you know, who I, if I could do it any way, I'd strive to be like them. Sorry, I, I know you just said it, but what was their name again? Virginia Happy Trails Running Club, VHTRC. Okay. Um, Shout out. Yeah. They're, you know, Kevin Sayers and, you know, Keith Nippling and Gary Nippling and um, Dave Yackel there, but there's just a lot of people there. Carrie um, Owens, just East coasters that, you know, contributed a lot to our sport, you know, during the early, late nineties, early two thousands and beyond. Okay. <clears throat> they're just good people, but, Massanutton is a hard race it's they, the motto is Massanutton rocks. It's a hundred miles of granite. There's just boulders, baby heads, and chicken heads all over that course the entire <laughs> way. Wow, and people from Ohio used to say like, "How do I train for Massanutton and we tell them you go down to the end of your driveway, you face the stone curb, you take your shoe off and kick it for twenty four hours and, <laughs> and and but to this day, of all the times I've run a hundred miles or more, Massanutten is by far the hardest hundred psychologically that I've ever run. Okay. I mean, it sure is a physical challenge. Any hundred is. I don't. You know, there are no easy hundreds. Let's be honest. For sure. Yeah. But Massanutten is still. I. I, t- I just, it has taken me longer to heal psychologically from that race than any other (laughs) run that I've done just wow
0: so it was more psychological than physical
1: yeah you know there's a 36 hour cutoff and it's humid and both times I've run that race it's rained we've had some severe thunderstorm come blowing through complete with hail and torrential rain and chafe is a factor there are these mm-hmm. birds that live in the trees there called whippoorwills. Oh yeah, and okay. just for hours and hours and hours, <laughs> like. Normally, if somebody's talking around you, you can at least tell them to shut the fuck up. But you can't tell a bird (laughs) to shut up, you know, like. Uh. And, you know, just the fortitude it takes to endure that course, the consistent ups and downs, the rocks, the water, the chafe, the humidity, just the everything just to this day is still the hardest hundred that I've ever taken on. And I'm still most proud of those. The two finishes I have at Massanutten are probably my proudest. well, you went back for a second one, so I didn't <laughs> after two thousand and eight. They announced that the next year they were going to have a Stonewall Jackson division, and that would be no pacer, no crew beautiful and I was like oh that's that sounds harder i'm I'm on it and I'm in and I went back. It took me two hours longer. <laughs> And it, and it hurt just as bad. And so, I mean, just, but I, I mean the course has changed a few times since then. That was 2009 the last time I was there and I I can't even believe, you know, I, it's, I'm, I'm getting to that point in my ultra running career now where I, I can say like I ran in last in 2009. Oh shit. That was 11 years ago. That's a lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like it's just such a, such a long time ago, but yeah, still very yeah, fresh sure. memories of it.
0: That's cool, man. Well, going back for a minute, um, what I mean, why ultra running? I mean, I'm not exactly sure what your childhood was like. I mean, do you, I mean, what brought you to, uh, I mean, this sport involves. You know, some crazy people. It involves a lot of pain. It involves a lot of self-discovery. I mean, was that something you were looking for, or you know, what what attracted you to ultra running to begin with?
1: Wow, I mean, there's a lot there that you just said. Um, <laughs> you know, I I think I'm still attempting to reconcile with my childhood. Okay, I wouldn't yeah, say you that, and me both. That it's all sunshines and rainbows and stuff you know it's Mm -hmm. there's some hardship my parents divorced when I was 10 I'm the youngest of four okay Um, my siblings are all eight or more years older than me Mm. clearly an oops (laughs) and (laughs) when my parents divorced they were all old enough to leave so they all moved out so you know I went from being the youngest in a family of six to just being my mom and I and My mom had to work two jobs to to make ends meet and, you know, one Christmas all I got was a blanket so I could be warm and we got our dinner from the soup kitchen and, Mm -hmm. you know, know, I've faced adversity for most if not all of my life, but Mm -hmm. into my 20s and 30s, you know, I've always struggled with the idea of being good enough. I've never felt good enough. I've never been good enough for my parents. I've never been good enough for my siblings. I've never been good enough in school. I was never good enough for my girlfriend who later became my fiance and then my wife, you know, my, my first wife, um, I was never good enough for her or her family, her parents. Like I've always lived this life where I've had to prove to people what I am capable of doing. And I think ultramarathon running, actually, I don't think I know, ultramarathon running became this big, hairy, audacious goal that for me was a vehicle that I could show to the others in my life what exactly I'm capable of. And that when I tell you I'm going to do something and I put my mind to it, you bet your ass I'm going to do it and it's not a good bet to bet against me in fact you should never doubt me and mm-hmm. even to this day there there are people in this community who who doubt me and challenge me and and you know it's just the the more you doubt me and the more you challenge me the harder I'm going to work and cuz mm-hmm. cuz my my whole life has been proving people wrong and yeah. and so I I think ultra running was ultimately the vehicle that I could use to prove to to finally prove to people close to me around you know my immediately my immediate family and girlfriend and her family and what I'm made of and what I'm capable of mm-hmm. and then it's probably best for you to not doubt me and so sure I think that's what ultra running started out as for me got it over the years though I think it turned into my meditation it turned into my form of therapy it's where i went to escape my normal everyday life it's where i went to work through my problems and think critically and just have a good damn time running with people out in the mountains on these amazing adventures um but but also a form of punishment that i think ultra running was the thing that I did where I could feel something other than my normal everyday pain, it Mm. it was a different kind of pain and a pain that I brought onto myself, not pain that was brought onto me by others. Um, Mm. So there is a level of control, right? You can control that kind of pain and, and how it affects you. And so it wasn't, wasn't always, you know, meditative and therapeutic. It was the one place in my life that I can control the pain that i experience Mm -hmm. um and ultra running you know it it became my full-time job now i'm a race director and
0: every day i
1: wake up from the you know from when i my work day is ultra marathon running (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. it's it's, yes
1: and i don't mean that i'm out running i mean i'm working on my race series every day it's a it's an eight hour to 15 hour a day job. If it's a race week, I'm working 100 hours a week to put on a race. Mm-hmm. And it, it has become my everything, it's my life's work. And it's more now about affording other people the same opportunities to have therapy, to meditate, to prove something to themselves or to others, um, whatever. Like it's, I'm giving back now. And so it's harder for me to run because my motivation is very different now.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Your motivation has evolved for sure.
1: Yeah. I'm definitely, I'm probably in the best place I've ever been in my life. I feel the happiest, the healthiest, the most motivated and just really caring and empathetic and compassionate for other people. And and just I really just want to help other people in a way that the world has helped me. And, you know, so so playing that role is more important to me now than getting my run in. But at the yeah, same time, no. man, you see people finishing 100 milers and you're like, ah, oh, I remember when I used to finish 100 milers. <laughs> <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> man, I, I kind of want another buckle. And yeah, yeah so I'm I still itching for it. But, I'm, you know. I just don't know why now. Yeah, well, you know, every
0: every race that I'm running, I'm looking at people on the sidelines, you know, with their sunglasses and their coffee going, man, that looks really nice. I wish I was just doing that today. But then when I'm on the sidelines with my sunglasses and my coffee and I'm looking at the runners, I'm, I'm like, man, I wish I was out there with those guys right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh. So, I mean... So, running was your sort of vehicle for um, therapy and meditation and all these things um, in your younger years. And now you're spending more time race directing. What are you using to get that peace of mind nowadays?
1: Well, today I mowed the lawn. <laughs> I, uh,
0: <laughs> so, I, the- I mean, is that practice for you, like staying present while? mowing the lawn doing the dishes i mean is that that's part of meditation and that's like um a zen meditation that's um uh, a, a deep fantastic philosophy that is you know close to
1: enlightenment is is that the way you look at it or i really do like i love doing yard work uh right. the fact that i could mow the lawn today it's april 7th it's it's early um but, you know yeah. I, I tidied things up a bit just being out there mowing the lawn I got my headphones in. I'm, you know, I, I'm listening to sports radio or an audiobook or the Gary V podcast or something like that. Um, but really, it's I'm alone. I'm not answering emails. I'm not on the phone. I'm not reaching out to land managers. I'm not fulfilling online orders or working on my website. Like it's just something different, and I can escape in the lawn. Like nothing else that i do right now i mean just i mean two hours to mow our lawn um and i'm kind of meticulous about it i'm i'm your neighbor you see on his hands and knees hand picking the weeds (laughs) you know but (laughs) I, i mean i've already rototilled my garden i'm getting ready to you know we're still a month month and a half away from planting anything here but i'm ready to go because i'm excited to nurture and care for something and watch something grow and you know you go out into the garden and you pick the weeds you know you get rid of the things that you don't want so that the things that you do want have better nutrition there you know it's better nourishment um and this is incredibly metaphorical for me in respects to life and i think we all need to remember that you, you can throw out the weeds you don't want and it'll better the nourishment you receive. And there are other things that I do. I own a mountain bike. I'm not great on it, but I enjoy feeling the wind go by. And as I'm riding my bike and cool. I like to uh, play video games, um, you know, I've been playing call of duty, <laughs> which is basically <laughs> shooting people. That's a good stress relief. Um, it is. You know, not that I want to actually shoot people, Be calm down out there, everybody. I'm just, you know, you know, and, you know, I just, I really enjoy movies. I'm a movie buff. And um, so I, I like to watch, you know, movies and get into the story. And Tiger King was the most amazing Netflix show I've seen in a long time. I can't believe how batshit crazy everybody is. Yeah, it was pretty
0: nuts. I watched
1: it. I... I don't know. I wasn't into it like everyone else
0: was, but it was yeah. intriguing enough to watch. <laughs> it was pretty wild.
1: You know, I also fly um, FPV So I like to fly a racing drone. Um, so I got okay. a tiny little helicopter the size of a coaster that goes 60 miles an hour. Um, but wow. if you put the goggles on and and you see what the helicopter's seeing. You have no choice but to get lost in what the machine's doing. And so, you know, there are other things that I do to, to get my fix. But my project this year is really to hike or run every trail in my county, which is Jefferson County. Um, they have quite okay. a trail network, and and I just want to try to see it all. So I'm, I'm already... You know, in the Northeast, we called it redlining because every trail on a map was made with a red line. Um, Here in the West, the roads are all red lines, so I can't really call it that. But, um, but I do. It's redlining. So my goal is to hike every trail in Jefferson County this year. Wow, that's a lot
0: of miles, man. There's a lot of trails out there. There
1: are a lot of trails. I doubt that I'll do it. And I kind of joke, it's like it'll actually be a two-year thing, but. But I'm I'm off to a good start, you know, like I got a marathon in on Saturday, Um, you know, just there's a lot of elevation in Jeffco. I mean, I'm learning that, but, you know, I'll I'll get as far as I can get. And, you know, it's just exciting to go and and see all the places that you tend to ignore because you've got your favorite spots and that's where you like to train. And it's a big world and there's a lot out there. And, you know, I think we should do more to spread it out. So that's what I'm doing.
0: That's cool, man. That's a good point. That's something I should probably do more of. Um, You know, I have these trails pretty close to my house, and those are my standard trails, you know. It's so easy just to run out of the door, and I have my, you know, my four-mile loop, my six-mile, my ten-mile, all these different loops from my house, and it's just so easy to go out there and shut my mind off. I do like to get out and explore new territory, but I don't do it as much as I
1: should. I mean, yeah, you're in People's Republic of Boulder. There's... there's there's trails north of town
0: some of the world's best trails yeah you
1: know like Heil Ranch and (laughs) there's areas north of town that nobody ever goes to and that's true
0: you know and nowadays everyone's just wearing masks (laughs) hiking up and down (laughs) Samita
1: yeah stay away (laughs) from me
0: (laughs) I know just hiking behind people it's like I don't care if you're wearing a mask or not puffing and puffing I'm gonna be catching whatever it is that you've got you know that's not what's
1: caught me off guard what's what's got me is like if you approach somebody on the trail they like walk ten feet off into the woods while you pass and then they come back out
0: I've noticed that
1: <laughs> and I understand why they're doing it and it's not personal but at the same time it's like oh so now we're just gonna treat literally everybody like they're diseased it does have that and feeling that doesn't feel good and yeah you know just you know just step yeah. aside say hello like add some humanity <laughs> to it but instead like we're just yeah. treating each other like we're I mean we got the plague <laughs> yeah
0: I know it is pretty weird man I hope it doesn't uh keep going in that direction Um, yeah so so you're an Mm -hmm. ultra runner badass ultra runner you've done all these races what made you i know you moved to colorado and i remember you from back in the day and i ran a bunch of your fat asses back in the day is that how uh directing races started for you or um you know how did that all start and what made you want to do that
1: actually i I started race directing back in 2007. I was an assistant race director for a series in Vermont known as Peak Races. And I did a lot of help uh, with those guys. Really, I was the race director apprentice. And I was under a guy named Andy Weinberg. And I learned a lot about race directing from Andy. And ultimately, in 2008, I held my first race, which had a 50-mile, a 100-mile, And a 200-mile, it was actually the first 200-miler anywhere in the world in November 2008 up in Vermont near Killington. Before McNaughton, 200? Yeah, at the the time, McNaughton was just a 150. Uh, And that was Andy's race. Andy was the original race director of McNaughton Park. Okay.
0: Um,
1: So Andy had gone up to the 150-mile distance, and now that we were working together in Vermont, I decided I was going to go for the 200-mile distance. Um, so, yeah, 2008, we put on the first 200-miler in the world, and that was my first time race directing. I was awake for 72 hours straight. Um, and, my God, I've never been so messed up. <laughs>
0: well, I, bet you, I bet you saw the devil a yeah, couple times. Yeah, I did.
1: I used <laughs> to have a, a fat-ass series up in New England. And when I moved out to Colorado, I, I started the fat ass series here and that's where I met you through it. And, you know, you, you kind of joined the fat ass series when it was really at its peak and we were averaging about a hundred runners per fat ass.
0: Yeah, they were pretty decent size. Yeah, it was uh, Logan that introduced me to you and your fat ass series. Not
1: many people know that the first fat ass I ever hosted here in Colorado was me and one other person.
0: Hey, you And I had maybe
1: 14 people come out, total. The same 14 people would run my fat asses that year. I got a lot of pushback from people like Buzz Burrell and Peter Backwin and Eric Lee. I mean, there's just the whole community of trail runners out of boulder that had every reason for me not to host the fat ass series and you can't and you shouldn't and you won't and it's illegal and it's blah 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 and i just could not believe the sheer amount of pushback i got but i didn't give a shit i was gonna do it anyway and and my answer to them was hey run or don't that's your choice run or don't mm-hmm. um And ultimately it grew into, you know, averaging a hundred runners per and my closest friends at the time, you know, kind of started gathering around me and saying, Hey, John, um, these are kind of getting a little out of control now. Like there's a lot of people here and they, you know, we were operating in a gray area that you could argue is illegal. You could also argue wasn't illegal, Um, but my friends had a point like the fat asses were the largest, most attended fat ass series in the world. That's what, that's what we built. And you know um, I had lost my job. It was the second time I'd lost my job in a year. And those same friends that were convincing me that something needed to change, they said, you know, John, obviously people love you as a director. They love your runs. They love the challenge that you present, you should become a full-time race director and race directing should be your job. And this is in March of 2014. And I, I fired back at my friends and for 45 minutes told them all the reasons why I shouldn't be a full-time race (laughs) director and why, I mean, you know, you're a business owner and, you know, for a long time, you come up with every reason why you shouldn't own a business why you shouldn't and, Absolutely. and that was yeah. me and 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 one of the reasons was that I, and this is the biggest reason i looked them all in the eye and i said ultimately someday i'm going to have to make decisions for my business that you don't agree with and those decisions that you don't agree with are what's going to cost us our friendship and our friendship mm-hmm. is more important to me than business and so i'd much rather stay friends mm-hmm. And they said, don't be silly. Of course, you're going to make those decisions. And of course, we're going to support you. And guess <laughs> what? I'm not friends with half of those people <laughs> anymore, you know, like, and, and, yeah. but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we, I started the human potential running series that year. I held my first two races that fall, September and November of 2014. Um, and, you know, six years later, uh, we're the largest ultra series in Colorado and the fourth largest in the nation. I now have races in two states. I'm in Colorado and Arkansas. Uh, last year was my biggest year ever. I had almost 2,000 runners come out and, and run with us across the entire series, and and that's pretty good when you cap each race at 200 runners. That's almost a sellout of every race. So, I've um, yeah. wow. been pretty lucky.
0: That's a huge success for sure. Well, I, I'm wearing my uh, Sheep Mountain Endurance Run T-shirt as oh, we speak awesome. right now, so. <laughs> supporting man. And yeah, you've got. I mean, some of those races are just so insanely difficult too. Like you're not going to PR on a lot of a lot of those courses and a lot of those races that you're holding, but um, you are going to you're going to fight some demons. You're going to see the devil. You're going to wonder why you signed up for this race or any other race. I mean, they
1: aren't aren't the easiest races out there by any means. No, and I always say even our easy races are hard. And there's a reason for that. (laughs) I really feel that as human beings, we learn the most through facing and overcoming adversity. And so I've made it my job to design courses that you face the adversity at the most inopportune time. And it's not going to kill you, but you are going to need to really embrace the struggle and fight through to get to the other side if you're going to finish. And, you know, look, I I always tell people, you know, when I first moved to Colorado, most of the ultra here, ultras here were down in the plains. And I couldn't understand for the life Mm -hmm. of me why everybody was racing down in the, you know, in the front range when we had all these beautiful mountains. (laughs) And no, nobody's Mm -hmm. racing in these mountains. And so But I also don't understand, like, if you show up to a race on Saturday thinking I'm going to run 50 K and then you go out and you run 50 K and you finish and then you say, see, I ran 50 K. What did you learn? You just Mm -hmm. validated your own personal belief that you're going to do what you said you're going to do the end. But If you show up on Saturday or do a race and you're saying, I'm going to run 50K today. And at some point while you're out there, you say, shit, I actually don't know if I'm going to run 50K today. And you end up having to struggle and push through. And then you get to the finish line and you're like, whoa. I mean, I knew I was going to run 50K today, but I had no idea it was going to be like that. And suddenly you're counting the many lessons that you learned about yourself and others and your community and that you can apply to your life. And that is what I'm trying to do. It's, you know, there, there've been a number of people that have run my races over the years and they bitch and moan. Oh, your races are so hard. And why, why do you have to make it so hard? And just, if you trained more and drank less, (laughs) you'd probably perform better. And I know that might not be what you want to hear, but that's the God's honest truth. Like, Take care of yourself and embrace this adversity and just get as far as you can get and let that be a lesson and quit bitching about it because that's not getting you. So many people ride in this entitled shit ship that they float around earth in, you know, like they're entitled to have an easy race. (laughs) Well, go run an easy race. And I'm trying to teach you something and I'm trying to create Mm -hmm a place where people can come and learn together and and i really think that's what sets us apart and that's why the races are hard and i, I take a lot of pride in that and you know if you don't like it don't run i mean that's that's where i'm at and yeah. the right people will be there
0: that's true yeah it reminds me of all the cyclists in the <laughs> boulder area um, none of them cycle up in the mountains they all cycle north and, and east of boulder yeah. out where it's flat and i just don't get it i mean a lot of them are triathlons and they're training for these flat races i guess but i just don't get it it's like all the good riding is up in the mountains what, what are uh, you guys how, doing how
1: hardcore
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> <It's> all about <laughs> strava man gotta set the prs <sighs> so i feel like you as a race director you're kind of and i don't know any of the stories man so but i just feel like you're kind of a black sheep and i i don't know why i don't know where any of that came from are you are you somehow misunderstood or did some did was there one event that happened that that made people form these
1: opinions about you i think it's a little of both i mean i think for sure i misunderstood i mean i'm from new england right i'm i originally from Southern New Hampshire, a suburb, suburb of Boston. We tend to be abrasive and blunt in that part of the country. We don't <laughs> sugarcoat or put a bow on top. And so if you're in a place where people really are used to having a bow on top and things sugarcoated and you don't do that, they just think you're an asshole. And especially if they uh, haven't I taken know, the time, know. and why would they, to understand where you're coming from or where you come from like what are the social distances of where i grew up versus where you grew up and they're vast like i'm i'm not asking you the question adam but i know that you're from wisconsin right and just you got come, it. like vastly different than boston not even close <laughs> oh yeah and so, so you know when i sure. talk with you i try my best to understand that you're you just come from a different world than i do and so the way that you talk and the way you understand and the way you express yourself is different than how i do it doesn't make me wrong Mm -hmm. and you right or you wrong and me right it just means we're different and i think that some people forget that i mean i feel
0: feel the exact same way about me being in boulder and some of the jobs that i've worked and the way everyone's just sort of human resourced to to death, you have to talk to people in a certain way with a certain vernacular. Otherwise you're going to catch some heat for it. Yeah. I grew up in the Midwest in dive bars where there's fights going on all the time. And I, I feel like, um, boulders just sort of
1: the land of, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's just totally different. Right? So I, hear you. I think the, yeah. the other part of it is that I used to be a blogger now I have a podcast, mm-hmm. Ultra Stories Podcast and I have, you know, every month I try to do a live show for my business and I'm somebody that I've never been shy about sharing my opinion and my opinion mm-hmm. isn't always the popular opinion um, I'm not a huge okay. fan of Leadville I, I think I I think that, that a lot of what goes down in Leadville is incredibly dishonest and sleazy. I i Just no, making like money. Ken Kluber says that he's the founder of the Leadville Trail 100, and he's not. Jim Butera is no, that's not even true. And yeah, you know, right. I, and it's to the point now that Jim has been completely written out of the history of that race, and I think that that's wrong. And mm. I think there's more honor and merit and celebrating those that came before you than to just r- write them out of the history book um and yeah there are other things that you know they've done up there in leadville over the years that is more money focused than it is people focused and i'm very people focused i'm people over profit here at hprs and that's really important to me because that's what I learned the roots of the sport we're all about. It's the community and we're all in this together and we can support each other and I just think that family is a catchphrase and support is a catchphrase in Leadville and it drives me batshit crazy. Now, for sharing my opinion, which may differ than yours, I'm just automatically an mm-hmm. asshole. How dare I have anything negative to say about The illustrious Leadville 100. How dare I have anything negative to say about God himself, Ken Kluber, right? Like, my God, people, like, just because you have your opinion and you think it's the only opinion doesn't mean it's the right opinion. And other people are entitled to their opinion and other people are entitled to their facts that may not jive with your facts. That doesn't make them a bad person. Mm -hmm. It just makes them somebody that has a different opinion than you. And so I think I've been more of, I'm not, it's not the right word, but more a victim of intolerance than anything. It's just people are unable to tolerate an opinion other than the one that they've been spoon fed and led to believe for 15 years, you know, like, I meet people all the time. They're like, Oh, you've run Leadville. I heard that that's like the toughest one. Actually, it's not even fucking close (laughs) to the, the, you know, like, (laughs) but how can you argue with those people? They have it in their mind that it's the toughest, it's the biggest, it's the most illustrious and you'll, I'll never change their mind. But if I state an opinion that's Mm -hmm. different than, different than theirs, and then I'll be honest, my delivery is not the best. (laughs) Is it, again i'm I'm just direct it's I'm not gonna beat around the bush. I'm just gonna tell you here's what I think, and here's why I think it and I think people get so hung up yeah. just wanting to disagree with the facts that I present that they fail to actually listen to and try to understand the facts I'm trying to present you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and then lastly, I think there's just you know being a business owner is hard there are a number of people over the years that have come forward uh thinking that they're they're helping or they're trying to be helpful with my business but they lack the self-awareness to see that their approach was wrong you know like mm-hmm. i this is my business i own it i, I didn't ask you for help <laughs> like i got it pretty under control mm-hmm. after you know, after 12 years of race directing, I think I know what I'm doing, but I still have people mm-hmm. every day telling me how to do it, how I should do it. And I can only get pushed so many times before I push back. And so, cause I'm one of those people. Yeah. If you, if you push me, I shove you. Um, I'm not the kind of person that's mm-hmm. going to let you push me and then stand down and then let you walk on me and kick me one more time before you walk away. No, no. If if you start pushing me, I'm going to shove back. I'm going to make sure that you understand that you are to get out of my way. Again, it's that whole let me fucking show you, let me prove to you what I can do if you just, you know. Yeah. And and so I think over the years I've just butted heads with people who are trying to help but their approach wasn't the best and I just got offended by their method or what they were saying or how they were saying it or uh, I feel like they overstepped, or it's not their place, and you know, there's some failed friendships, and over time, you know, those add up, and the voices get louder collectively, and you know, but I don't, I mean, I'm not gonna get hung up on it, and it's, it's, yeah, it does, it, that stuff it hurts. hurts. I know that. I get it. There's people out there that are hurt. They they claim that they hurt. I hurt them, and. I said things that hurt them and I did things that hurt them and and I'm over here saying the same shit. Well, you hurt me and you said things that hurt Mm -hmm. me and so we're in that place where like nobody wants to listen to the other person because you just want to be heard Um, and that's not going to solve anything so the best thing to do is to just walk away and you know, that's life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, So... a few years, well, another lifetime ago, I did a bunch of jujitsu and there was a guy in the jujitsu world who his name is Eddie Bravo. And there's, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but in a lot of ways, you remind me of Eddie Bravo. He was like the black sheep of jujitsu who came into the jujitsu world and sort of created his own system within the system. And he started taking some of the traditional aspects and throwing them out And then he was making his own move. He was literally making his own moves and he had these really weird, insane names for them that didn't really mesh well with the traditionalists. And everybody, everybody was throwing shade his way. Nobody liked him in the beginning. Everybody thought he was a flash in the pan. Everybody thought he was just lucky at the events that he did well at. And now, um, you know, a decade later, 15 years later, he's got 50 or a hundred schools around the world. He's got these huge tournaments going on and it's just, now he's at a point where it's just undeniable. Like he really helped jujitsu evolve to the next level. And at first everyone hated him. So in a lot of ways, you sort of remind me of Eddie Bravo. It's like you're the innovator who's coming into the ultra running world and looking at things from kind of a different angle saying, I don't, we don't have to do it that way since even though that's the way it's been done for the last 20, 30 years, we can tweak this here, change this there to make it a little yeah. bit better. And that almost always rubs people the wrong way. But I mean, that's what I've appreciated about you. Yeah, since, you know, it's just since like hard
1: rock is a really good example. I think that their lottery is incredibly flawed in, in that it's, it's mm-hmm. heavily weighted towards people who have already been there. And, the art, and so already that creates a yep, very sure. elitist tone at, at that particular race, especially when there's 3,000 people trying to get in every year. You're saying that it's more important for the people who have already been to keep coming than to allow new people in.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: that's a very elitist tone. Now, mm-hmm. when I say that, immediately, anybody who's a Hard Rock fan or a part of the Hard Rock family gets their hackles up. and How how fucking dare you have anything negative to say about this event? And it's like, I'm not saying anything. If you're taking it as negative, that's your own inflection of what I'm saying. What I'm telling you is that this is an elitist way to look at this. And the argument that I was given mm-hmm. was, well, if you take all these old timers and people that have, you know, they, they, they're there every year. If you take them away from the event then the event will change. And I said, you know, that's not true. I ran the Western States 100 in 2010 and I ran it in 2017. That's seven years apart. And in 2010, mm-hmm. 85% of the field was running Western States for the first time. And guess what? Everybody who is always there, everybody who is always there as a runner, we're still there as a volunteer or there as a spectator. All those people that you claim you need to have there in order to make that event what it is will still be there if they truly are a part of the fabric of the event. You And so, you know, now if I say all these things, there's people that are just automatically, you're a fucking asshole for saying that. And, you know, how dare you have anything negative to say about hard rock? And if you're so good, why don't you do it? And of course now I am. (laughs) (laughs) But... You know, at, at the end of the day, it's, <laughs> hey, why can't you guys just come down off of your high horse for five minutes and see that there may be another way to do this that is more fair and yeah. actually is better for the longevity and preservation of the event for generations to come instead of just being stuck in your one track way of thinking? And people don't like hearing that. And so I want to ask you a question about this, this uh, jujitsu guy you just told me about 15 years ago when he first started and he had these new moves and insane names and, and whatever, was he wrong? No, not at all. See, that's the thing. He was taking the
0: sport to the next level and he was taking sort of this Bruce Lee methodology Is Wait, that a word close, methodology close <laughs> methodology <laughs> and he was just taking what applied to him and his body style and discarding the rest and so he was making this system within the system and no he wasn't wrong because now he's got all these schools across the world and he's te- and they're still teaching all these crazy moves like moves with names <laughs> like crackhead control and stoner control and you know it just stuff that's going to rub all the traditionalists the wrong way you know (laughs) (laughs) and you know and no he wasn't wrong at all he was completely right and he like i said he took it to the next level and um everybody hated him for it but he had the guts to to step out and to try this new thing and, and to to try this new way and I mean, if he wouldn't have done it, the sport would still be stuck back where it was
1: 10 or 15 years ago. Something that, and this is a really good point that you bring up, is because there's a number of people who, you know, when Dean Carnaz's book came out in 2005, there were a lot of people in ultra running who were terrified that oh, that's it. Now everybody's going to find ultra running and all these road runners are going to come over and the sport's going to grow and it's going to be harder to get into our favorite races and we're going to have lotteries and it's going to be terrible and it's going to ruin the sport. And we got our first influx of people that came into the sport and it didn't. And that's true. We had lotteries and it became harder to get into your favorite race. But then Born to Run came out and Born to Run it, you know it initiated this second wave of growth into our sport and it more road runners and but with it came more races and so here we are 15 years after dean's book 10 years after born to run it's been 10 years there are more ultras to run wow. in the in north america than there ever have been in fact there are so many races now that there's there's more than half never sell out You could find an ultra on any weekend within a 500-mile radius of your house, unless, of course – yeah, of course, unless you're affected by winter. But, you know, you you can find countless ultra marathons in your state. Colorado has 180 ultra-distance runs alone. And, you know, so you can look at it. (laughs) I can look at it and say, well, in 2005, people warned us about this. And, you know, I was one of those traditionalists Mm -hmm. that was, fuck all these race directors that are directing races for profit. That's not what this sport was made on. And these races are supposed to be nonprofit and they're supposed to be fundraisers. And I just don't see how people can make a buck off of this. And, well, now here I am making a buck off of it. (laughs) And even I had to grow up someday and realize that times change people change the sport changes Mm -hmm. this sport is going to be different 10 years from now than it is today it's going to keep changing and so people either need to get on board with changes happen or you're going to get left behind and you're just going to think it's ugly and so you know and and that's Mm -hmm. look we're a group of people that's supposed to be able to adapt So why aren't we adapting? Why does everything need to be the way that it's always been? Why does hard rock have to be the way it's always Mm -hmm. been? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I guess it's just human instinct maybe for guys like you and I who have been in the sport for a decade or longer to say, you know, (laughs) I I did did. it before it was cool, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, I did jujitsu before it was cool too, you know, And but the sport evolves and now everybody knows what it is. And I mean, what's wrong with that? I, I mean, I, I don't think that's wrong and it's evolving. Like you said, and in 10 years it's going to be in another place. And I don't think it's going to be in a worse place. It might be more widely known. There might be more people doing it. There might be more newbies coming into the sport, asking us more stupid questions, but I mean, how could that be such a what bad thing? The second sport's getting bigger, third
1: year, hard rock made it only for nevers. Would that be, what would, would that be so bad? Like, be let's up. say this year and next year, it's the way it's always been. But then on the third year, it's nothing but nevers. And so it's all first timers. Yeah, and then the year yeah. after that, it's right back to the way it's always been for two more years. And then the third year again comes around and it's nothing but nevers. Like, What what would be wrong with that? And is it really bad for somebody to offer up that suggestion? And even if that suggestion is given to you in a way that doesn't have a bow on top or sugar coated on it, that doesn't make it a bad suggestion. And, you know, this is supposed Mm -hmm. to be a sport Mm -hmm. built on community where we all support each other. You know, we all always talk about those times we're running an ultra and you see somebody down tying their shoe and you stop and make sure they're okay and you offer them some gels or an S cap or, you know, but mm-hmm. we don't do that with everything. We just get so caught up in, yeah. Well, I, I got an email two weeks ago, Adam, from a guy saying, or I don't think it was a guy, I think it was a girl pretending to be a guy, but. um i know (laughs) jameel curry and i know james varner and you know jameel's the owner and race director of aravipa and james varner's the owner and race director of rain shadow running and the point in the email was i i know both of those guys and they're in a different category than you are you're just negative and a piece of shit and and you're not like those guys. And I'll never run one of your races. I'm always going to run their races because they're in a different category and it's a category all to their own. And, and I'm reading this email, like, wow, you know, there wasn't a single day that I set out to be Jamil Curry or James Varner. Not, not one time. And so yeah, thank for you sure. for validating that I'm not like them because I don't want to be like them. And I don't want my series to be like Rain Shadow or Aravaipa. I don't want my races to be just like Rain Shadow or Aravaipa. And I don't want a race direct just like Jamil or James because what fucking fun is that? If all the races are the same and all the series are the same and all the race directors are the same, like you have to have variety. There has to be something else. There has to be other personalities and other, characters and other ways of doing it, because it helps you appreciate the very many different personalities and characters and ways of doing it that there are. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love doing small low key races and I also love doing big, huge (laughs) races as well. I mean, that's me personally. I, uh, you know to disagree with you i mean, you know more about the subject and the people than i do but i do personally love mm-hmm. leadville as a race itself but i also love doing small little low-key races as well you know it just depends on i mean they're all just like a celebration of of you know all the training and all the running that we do it's just uh you know i'm someone who usually runs by myself So I like to get together with other people and run these big events once or twice a year. Just,
1: you know, I I like the low-key, quirky events. And I also like going to bigger mm -hmm. events, too. I've run Leadville twice. I mean, I have a DNF there and a finish. Yeah, Yeah, me too. I've done Western States twice. I've been to the Barkley and done a loop at the Barkley. There isn't—I yeah. mean, that's a big difference between Western States and the Barkley. <laughs> and, and you know, and I've oh, yeah, and I've sure. done everything in between. And you know, I can find something about every race that I love, and I can find something about every race that I don't love. And you know, I exactly Leadville. Yeah. I love Hope Pass. Talk about one of the most. Mm-hmm outstanding places in all of ultra ultra running being on hope pass during a hundred mile yeah. race. I mean, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Like Especially the second what time life changing place <laughs> and a life changing moment. And there's a lot to be gleaned there. And so even that's I can true. find the positive in Leadville. I, I think their 50 mile race is the best race they have up there. It's the best course It's the prettiest course. And I, and you know, just yeah, it is beautiful. I just don't like the way they run things. And so I just won't run there. And in the end. And and yeah, you know what? There's yeah. people that don't like the way that I do things and they just won't run here. And good for you, don't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just what you focus on, you
0: know. I mean, yeah, there's things I don't like about Leadville, you know, people dog on the road, yeah, I don't, I don't having to run road <laughs> for however many miles of it. You know? Yeah, I don't like that, but and when I ran your um cheap mountain race, I didn't like the fact that it took me so long, (laughs) you know, because it was an ass kicker. But you know what? I finished the race and I felt better than ever because I finished that thing, you know? I mean I was glad I did it, no regrets whatsoever. But um I don't even remember what my time was, but I just remember going,
1: that was definitely my (laughs) slowest fifty miler. But you know
0: what, man? That's what we sign up for. That's what Ultra Running is all about. So you can't
1: compare races. And no, you can't. They're all different. Even if you run Leadville this year and Leadville next year and Leadville the year after, you can't compare those three years because they're all different years. Everything's different. Your training, what's available on the course, the weather like barometric pressure for god's sakes like everything is different each year and so you know people just you know just slow down a little bit and appreciate where you are in the now yeah there you go that sums it
0: up right there cool man well listen i don't want to take up too much of your time and i really appreciate uh listen, I appreciate everything you've done for me. You've been super helpful for, for us and our ever evolving or, or should I say devolving <laughs> business? Who knows where it's going to go <laughs> with all of this, but, uh, I really appreciate you and your honesty and the help you've given us and, um, appreciate your races, man. And If anybody asks me uh, what races to do in in Colorado, um, yours yours are the ones that come Adam, again, I I think
1: what you guys aspire to do is a really good thing for our community, not just on race day. I mean, you know, there's a guide element to everyday life in Boulder folks that are visiting here that want to get out. And Mm -hmm. anybody that wants to share the outdoors um, in a place that they love with others is uh, i'm happy to help and i support you guys and you know these are trying times you, you know you just be patient and you know fit, work your way through it and well we'll all get to the other side we'll be okay but i, I you know it's, it's my pleasure to help out for however sure i can you guys you know you're you're good people and i believe in what you're doing and and i'll continue to you know steer folks towards your your offerings as well so Cool. I yeah. appreciate it.
0: So I got one last question for you. So the name of of um, your whole enterprise that yep. you're running is the Human Potential Running Series. Are there any limits at all. on our human potential? You
1: know, I, I used to believe None? my parents told me that you could do anything you put your mind to. And, you know, as a kid, you believe that with this fervor. And then you, you grow up and you realize that your parents are just telling you what they're supposed to be telling you. <laughs> But you can also realize that that's very true. <laughs> the mind is a powerful thing. And if you put your mind to something, you can accomplish it. And, you know, I've, I've run 202 miles before for shits and giggles, not even in a race. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I, I really do believe that human potential is unlimited. And I, I believe it's something that you not only can discover, but it's something you can create. Uh, within your mind and you know i and i hope people will come out and, and discover some of that with us and our website is human potential com. Um, would love to have anybody It'd be an honor and privilege of mine to be your race director so
0: for sure i've seen uh i've seen you giving hugs to every single person that crosses the finish line so um, I know you care, man, and uh, we're here to support you guys. And Thanks, um, Adam. I
1: appreciate it. Thanks for
0: your time today, man.
1: All right. Sounds good.
0: Hey, hey, what did you guys think? Sherpa John doesn't really sugarcoat it. He just kind of tells it how it is. It's kind of refreshing nowadays. I like that guy. Um, if you want to find him, you can find him at humanpotentialrunning.com. He's got all sorts of races, uh, most of them are in Colorado, and let me tell you, they're legit, they are not easy, uh, they're legit ultramarathons. And uh, again, my name is Adam McRoberts, uh, founder of Big Things Crewing, and this is my podcast called Do Big Things. If you want to reach out to me, you can do so on my website It is big-things-crewing.com. Reach out. Let me know what you think of this podcast or whatever. Just want to shoot the breeze. I'm down with that too. So um, in closing, I want to share something with you guys. I want to share a poem. Uh, I want you guys to stay strong in the face of uh, this adversity we're all facing and stay strong and be well and so this is a poem by the great charles Bukowski. if you're going to try go all the way otherwise don't even start this could mean losing girlfriends wives relatives and maybe even your mind it could mean not eating for three or four days it could mean freezing on a park bench It could mean jail. It could mean derision. It could mean mockery. Isolation. Isolation is the gift. All the others are a test of your endurance, of how much you really want to do it. And you'll do it, despite rejection and the worst odds. And it will be better than anything else you can imagine. If you're going to try, go all the way. There is no other feeling like that. You will be alone with the gods and the knights will flame with fire. You will ride life straight to perfect laughter. It's the only good fight there is.